The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. As you know, we've all experienced contrary circumstances that seem to be against us. We've had carefully prepared plans unravel in such a manner that it resulted in loss. Uh, We've experienced loss of friendships, financial loss, reputational loss, and uh, perhaps the most difficult loss to endure is that of a cherished, heartfelt friendship, whether it be in a marital circumstance or uh, long-time friendships or newly formed friendships. And so we're going to look at a topic Uh, perhaps uh, being addressed in two, maybe three podcasts. And it is when relationships are marred. When relationships are marred. And today's podcast is dealing specifically with relationships that are marred by betrayal. And we have as our context, Matthew chapter 26, uh, the 17th to about the the, uh, 26th verse. And uh, this is, of course, in the uh, hours before the Lord Jesus Christ was uh, arrested. And of course, there would be a trial that follows and ultimately his crucifixion. But as I said, this series of podcasts confronts the issue of loss, Uh, especially when we experience it uh, by uh, relationships that have been marred uh, in the circumstance of uh, being betrayed, being betrayed. And uh, we'll take a look at uh, Peter, uh, Jesus, and Judas. And if time permits, we might look at one of the uh, patriarchs. But uh, this sort of difficulty Uh, having marred relationships, uh, is a ubiquitous set of events in the human experience. And uh, the Spirit of God has given us uh, the critical moments in the life of the Lord Jesus and his ministry when he was uh, uh, ultimately forsaken and betrayed, uh, especially by Judas and forsaken by the Uh, disciples uh, who would later become the apostles and uh, he would suffer false accusations and a a wide array of indignities. But these lessons and learnings are vital to our success in the Christian life and uh, they are poignant in that even Isaiah the prophet 700 years before they occurred saw them 
by the Spirit of God as he looked through time and captured the scope of the experience of the Lord Jesus. And so embedded in their experience are the tools that God has provided us so that we might successfully navigate uh, these experiences for our personal growth and development and in preparing us to be useful to others who are passing through similar experiences. And what we can do as, as a backdrop is perhaps look at the Passover Seder, uh, which uh, uh, speaks to the spiritual man. The, the voice of the Spirit of God, uh, I believe, was perhaps clear to the Lord Jesus as he participated as the Son of Man in this last Passover Seder. And what we learn about the Lord Jesus, which is critical for our learning, is his acceptance and submission to the clearly expressed will of God. His acceptance and submission. Uh, as the Lord Jesus said to his disciples during that final meal, the Son of Man goes as it is written. The Son of Man goes as it is written. And this is a clear indication that the Lord Jesus accepted and embraced the Holy Scriptures as the emphatic, clear, unchangeable template of the divine perspective on his experiences. I repeat, the Lord Jesus accepted and embraced the Scriptures as the emphatic, clear, unchangeable template of God's perspective on his experiences as a man. And as the Lord Jesus perhaps participated in this last Passover meal, uh, there's some historical parts of this meal or traditional parts of the meal that would be a stark foretelling of the events that would occur in the next few hours. For example, you know, when, when he you know, took that shank bone of a lamb that he would share with his uh, disciples, it certainly would have reminded him of God's deliverance uh, of the nation of Israel during that 10th plague. I mean, he was the Jehovah of the Old Testament, so evidently he knew uh, what this part of the Lamb signified, which was that Jehovah instructed the Israelites to slay the Lamb and daub the doorposts and lentils uh, with the blood of a spotless lamb so that Jehovah would pass over the homes of the Israelites and preserve the lives within those homes that have been marked by blood. And we find this in the first 13 verses of Exodus. And so the Lord Jesus would have known clearly what he was about to become for you and me, the Lamb of God that would be our deliverance from a doomed world and from the wrath of a holy God. And so reaching for that unleavened bread, for example, he would have been mindful of the Jewish tradition uh, of placing that matzo in a bag called an echad, which simply means one, O-N-E, one in Hebrew. And this bag contained uh, three small chambers, each of which would have a piece of the uh, matzo placed into a chamber. However, uh, the matzo that is placed in the second chamber 
is broken in half at the beginning of the Seder. And tradition has it that uh, there is a chamber for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish fathers of, 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 uh, of Israel. However, the Isaac portion, the Isaac portion is broken in half, and one half is placed back into the middle matzo section, and the Lord Jesus would have been mindful that this second chamber is in this brief moment signifying that he too would be broken. He would be the Isaac who would lay his life down in complete obedience to the Father. And so tradition has it also that the second piece of the matzo that was broken is wrapped in a linen cloth, and, and Jesus certainly would have seen clearly that he was going to die and would be buried. There would be a burial cloth at the end of his suffering. He would be broken for us. His life would be a sacrifice for us. And with calm, he embraced the will of God fully that night at that Passover Seder. My friends, that is the spirit with which we are encouraged to respond to loss. Loss in relationships perhaps due to betrayal, betrayal of love, betrayal of friendship, betrayal of camaraderie. And accepting this loss as God's perfect will for me and you in that hour. My beloved friends and, and fellow believers, we are told by the Spirit, by the hand of Paul, that our Heavenly Father exercises his sovereign will and power to ensure that no event crossing our path and enveloping us in its web of crisis and confusion, no event is outside of the control of our loving, uh, providential care of our Heavenly Father. We are given the assurance that he returns this chaotic event or events in our lives. He returns it at some future time, pregnant with blessing and evidentiary proofs of his holy presence and working. If we were to believe with all our hearts that he truly causes all things to work together for good, Romans 8 and 28. God our Father takes the chaos that often surrounds us and permeates our space and uses it to deepen our faith if we would but seize it as a divinely sent opportunity to know the living God in a transformative way. On one hand, where sin and death has entered into the cosmos through Adam's disobedience, and sin and death would wield their power to, as it were, bludgeon us mercilessly. God overshadows and inserts himself in our experience to use these circumstances, as I said before, in a transformative way, commanding them 
to be for blessing. If we would have eyes to see it as God declares it and a heart to embrace it in the full assurance of faith. The Lord Jesus was calm, knowing the events that would follow, even the betrayal that would occur right at this this last Passover meal. Yet, with calm assurance, he could say that one of you will betray me this night. And if, if you read the narrative, you could discern that it's not said uh, with uh, overcome with terror, but with acceptance. And so I want you to know that there's a distinction between uh, an acceptance of the will of God and the experience of the pain of these betrayals. God is not removing the pain, the experience from us when we embrace his will. But we will learn later that there's something that is added to the experience. And so in Matthew 26, the 37th and 38th verse, for example, he says, the scripture says that he began to be sorrowful and deeply depressed. Then he says to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. And this occurred, he stated this when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it's clear that the Father did not remove the soul experience, the, 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 the pressure, the, the emotional pain that is associated with what he was about to pass through, not only with the betrayal, but the upcoming um, um, uh, event when he would be forsaken by his followers, and ultimately taken prisoner and uh, tried in a mock trial. These are events that causes sorrow. And so when you look back at some of the experiences that you have had, when relationships that you value or that I value have been broken because of betrayal of that, that covenant, if you will, that love covenant, it does cause sorrow. It does dampen the spirit. And so I ask you, is it possible that we can say in the midst of our trial, I know God is working. I know God is working this together for my good, and I shall yet praise him. And I say to you, my beloved friends, yes, we can. Many have confused the assurance that comes from faith in the word of God, expecting that this, this assurance means I will be free from pain. And that's not the case. Because the Lord Jesus could say to his disciples at one point earlier in his ministry that the Father is always with him. Always with him. And he still enjoyed the fellowship of his father in spite of the circumstances. And so the child of God will experience everything that the entire world of men experiences. Job, for example, experienced illness and loss, both financially and familiar, uh, familial loss, as well as his personal health. Paul, for example, was wrongly accused for the sake of the gospel and ultimately was beheaded for that cause. 
many of the apostles endured suffering on account of their faith. And even in the early church, there was the martyrdom of Stephen and the persecution of the early church. So Christians are going to experience pain, loss, hardship. And in this particular case and podcast, the pain of broken relationships. These men were not excluded from the events and what the experience brought. But what was included was the presence of God and grace to go through the experience. Suffering is our share in the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are told in 1 Peter chapter 1 that what follows is the glory. God has given to his people to share in the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ as well as to participate in a coming glory. And so, my beloved friends, the outcome that you and I fear has been robbed of its sting. You say, how so? Well, please know that the holy event that we are looking at that is, the betrayal and forsaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, teaches us, for example, how to pray. Because one would ask, well, what do I do when I experience loss, betrayal, a broken heart? And the one thing we learn to do is to ask God for the grace to receive as God's will the very circumstances, and to do so with a calm knowledge that the consequences that I'm experiencing, the grief that I'm experiencing, God has for his purposes allowed. I need to also be praying for the Holy Spirit's filling me, filling you with temperance, self-control, When we read the narrative of this final feast that the Lord Jesus shared with his disciples, and he could say uh, in one of the other Gospels, that with strong desire, I desire to have this feast with you. But when you read the narratives, you get the sense that the Lord Jesus was calm. He was still, as he always was, filled with the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God. A third thing we can ask God for is for his peace, the peace of God that passes understanding. And this peace comes from knowing that our times are fully in his hands. And we've entrusted ourselves, our souls, into the hands of a faithful creator and a loving father. You know, Every Israelite in Egypt on that night of the 10th plague, I'm sure experienced simultaneously the hope and expectancy of freedom that would be coming early that morning, while filled with the dreadful awareness that they are surrounded by death. And yet they had the promise of God that they would be released that morning. So too, my friends, By God's grace, we can walk into any circumstance, however dreadful we think it is, 
knowing this, that it has been conquered by the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ, not only for the payment and release from sins, mind you, but the, the very entering into death and a new life in him and the privilege of having every force that is marshaled against us defeated by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ and the promise of God that in our lifetime he will cause all things to work together for our good, come what may. Before we were saved, we didn't have that promise. Now that we have become the children of God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, God has, as it were, brought the, the, the power and sovereignty of the triune God to cause all chaotic circumstances that we pass through and has attached to them divine good. Though it's a common experience with all men. We are expressly told by Paul in his letter to the Colossian church concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in the, the second chapter, that the Lord Jesus was on the cross blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and which was contrary to us. And he did what? He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And so he alone possessed in himself all that God would do and all that God would be in order to remove any writ or any legal spiritual judgment against us. And even the very slavery with which we were bound in order to afford us freedom, liberty, and grace granted to us by God. And now we can say confidently in the midst of suffering that through the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, all that would have been against me has been overturned and made to be for me a blessing, regardless of the nature of the trial. Apart from the physical suffering of our Lord Jesus on Calvary, he experienced the pain of relational breaks that evidently cut to the core. These, these broken relationships sort of foreshadow uh, the same experience that many of us have had to endure and perhaps are still enduring. Take, for example, Peter. Okay, Peter... Uh, it's sort of a, the picture of the carnal man, the carnal Christian, a self-confident man. And, and Peter so often reminds me of, of the typical experience in the Christian life. Okay, And if any of you have ever had encounters with, <laughs> I, I, I don't like to use you know, labels loosely, but you know, carnal Christians. Um, Peter reminds us, in, in his example, of course, uh, of our capacity for both exercising faith and exemplifying God's grace while simultaneously lapsing into a, a sort of what's-in-it-for-me type of thinking. <laughs> and so some Christians can be lovingly spiritual, and in a moment, a twinkling of an eye, they can be transformed into a beastly ogre. <laughs> and so Peter, the spiritual Peter, 
when he was asked, you know, what do, who do men say that I am? When the Lord Jesus asked this in Caesarea Philippi, and with a resounding, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was Peter, the same Peter, <laughs> the same Peter who in the midst of the storm, seeing the Lord Jesus walking on water when the others were, were frightened to death, he could say, Lord, if it is you, bid me come. And having heard the, the command of the Lord Jesus to come, this man stepped out of the boat in the midst of the storm and walked on water toward the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the spiritual Peter that we all wish our encounters were filled with. But alas, we've all had our hearts at some time broken by the carnal denial of a loving relationship and all that it entails. And so the, the Achilles heel of the, of the carnal Christian is that their faith, their confidence is misplaced in that they have never been tested to the extent where they are brought to that place where they will not trust themselves. And this is important. You know, we, we try to categorize people in a variety of ways, or Christians in a variety of ways, and we use that term, you know, carnal Christian. But the simplified version is simply that they are trusting in themselves, and they've never been tested and broken to, that, to come to that place where they're not trusting themselves. Their confidence lies in their limited experience of walking with God. And, and you know, expressing to us the same value that the Spirit of God places on us. So they're, in, in, in one aspect, they're treating us as the Spirit of God would prompt them and would fill them to treat us with regard, with love, but in essence, for the most part, they're not walking in the Spirit. And subsequently, eventually, circumstances will be brought to bear where we see the effects of that lack of intimacy with God. And although the Lord Jesus, from that point onwards in Caesarea Philippi, where Peter you know, made that great confession, he began to tell them from that point that he must go away to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and be killed and the third day be raised from the dead. And it is at this point that Peter already clearly displays the blindness of his heart to the work and ways of God. And this is key because a lot of people you know, use the, the Christianese in the language that says, oh, they must be Christians and they're praising the Lord. Wonderful. But then when the will of God becomes clear, clearly stated in the scriptures or clearly in their experience, they begin to do what Peter attempted to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is to declare and forbid that he, the Lord Jesus, would have this experience of loss. And if Peter had his way, he would have interfered with the very work of God. Now, that wasn't possible, but unknown to him, he was rebuked when the Lord Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, because you don't savor the things that are of God. 
Secondly, Peter was led by his emotions or his sentiments or perhaps personal convictions, but certainly not by a spirit-generated worldview. It was clear that this man, although well-meaning, was ignorant of his own weak human nature. Of course, he spoke confidently that he would never be offended and that he, if need be, would go to death with the Lord Jesus. And yet we'll see that Peter was so easily stumbled and defeated, firstly by a young girl who simply identified him as being one of Jesus' followers. I mean, it was just that simple. And then he began to spiral downward as he saw what was unfolding in the trial of the Lord Jesus. And the scripture tells us in, in chapter 26 and verse 58 that he began to follow at a distance. So now he's, he's putting space between himself and the event as it is unfolding. And as the evening wore on, in, and later on in verse 69, he even denied that he knew the Lord Jesus. And la later on, <laughs> he resorts to a time-tested method that will make anyone be convinced that, that you are not a Christian. And that is, he invoked profanity. And at that point, his eyes and the eyes of Jesus met. I believe it was in Luke's gospel. And he saw himself. He saw himself and went out and wept bitterly. Most importantly, we see what the results are when, when a fleshly mind dominates the spiritual life. Our life circumstances and choices will often betray the fact that we are not being led of the Spirit of God, but we're filled with a fleshly mind. And then when we encounter Christians, uh, assuming that we're walking in the Spirit, mind you, when we encounter Christians who, who are walking in the flesh, we find ourselves sort of in Jesus' place, looking out on those that we have loved so dearly, only to see them sadly disappoint us and betray the love bond of our friendship. And then we have Judas, a worldly man, who outrightly rejects the Lord Jesus and betrayed him. And, and this is perhaps the greatest pain point that we all have experienced, betrayal of a love bond, whether it be between uh, in, in, in the marriage relationship or uh, between dear friends, betrayal of a love bond. And whatever the motive, whether it be a selfish desire, envy, jealousy, changed sentiments maybe, here we have Judas, a man who rejected the bonds of a loving friendship so that he may satisfy his selfish interests. This was an outright betrayal of a friend. Outright betrayal. And so Judas represents what the worldly man thinks of, and certainly not the things of God. Anyone who's befriended the world and calls themselves a believer 
will never treat the people of God nor the things of God with the value that they deserve. Never. Paul could say that of Demas. And he says, Demas has forsaken me for this present evil world. Demas has forsaken me. And however that worldview, or whatever the worldview looks like, that worldly worldview has one constant fail point. Always. And it is this. And I'm speaking to you if you say I am a believer. <laughs> but you know within your heart that you have gone after the world. You have, you've, you've signed up like Demas. <laughs> you're going to get your gold, whatever it takes. <laughs> In this life, you're going to get your gold. <laughs> and here's the risk. The anticipated outcome of any choice or decision you make will more than likely always, I repeat, always be contrary to the outcome that the Spirit of God designs. That is the consistent fail point. The outcome that you want and the outcome that the Spirit of God wants will never run parallel, will never meet at the same cross point. And this was Judas's fatal error. His worldview and the decisions springing from that worldview was the antithesis of the worldview, if you will, of the Spirit of God. And when he saw his error, it was too late to reset it. Too late. Joseph, for example, in the book of Genesis, was the antithesis of Judas. This, here we have this young man uh, who held to the vision that the Spirit of God gave in his dreams in spite of his suffering. He suffered through the rejection, the hatred, the slavery, the banishment, yet he held on to this, the dreams that were given by Jehovah. He saw the faithfulness of God to bring him through the suffering and to reward the steadfastness of unwavering faith. And so too the Lord Jesus knew acutely the fellowship of God his Father. It was deep and it was intimate, as I said before. And in, in John 16, for example, that the Lord Jesus said, Behold, the hour comes, yes, is now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. And here, my friends, is the very secret of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of his Father, the nearness of God. This is ultimately what we are striving for in our walk with God. This is the heart, for example, of this podcast, Besides Still Waters. That is to encourage you, to encourage believers, irrespective of, of the doctrinal distinctions of which, you know, there, there are many, that, that believers are encouraged to walk with God. And this sort of explains the calm with which the Lord Jesus walked into his trial in the full assurance of faith that the Father's presence was the very foundation of his trust. He enjoyed this divine nearness 
In fact, he enjoyed it through the annals of eternity before the foundation of the world. And now that he came into the world as the Lamb of God, that enjoyment was not mitigated by the pressure of ministry or by the deep disappointment of failed relationships. And so too, my friends, with every broken relationship, God has a plan, a design for our growth, a desired outcome for our good and for the benefit of others. We are compelled to trust God where we cannot trace God. And in doing so, it will take time for us to see the mind and will of God for our lives as we experience the loss of loved relationships. Nonetheless, we have the divine assurance that God causes all things, all things, I repeat, all things, to work together for good. And then lastly, as we're, just some closing thoughts, but as we're thinking about faith's foundation in laws. In Matthew 26 and 24, the Lord Jesus says, The Son of Man goes indeed according as it is written concerning him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is delivered up. It was good for that man that he had not been born. And so I say to you, this is the unadulterated truth concerning the veracity of Scripture. The Lord Jesus believed, embraced, understood both as a man and as God. That once the, 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 the promise, the word is uttered from the mouth of God, a matter cannot be changed. It will accomplish what God has intended. It will accomplish what he has spoken. It will do what he has ordained it to do. Just as he said in the very beginning in the creation of the world, light be and light was. And so the Lord Jesus explained something about the nature of free will and relationships. And that is on the positive side, he was willing to trust the word of God. The son of man goes Indeed, according as it is written concerning him. He embraced it. He understood what God had for him. And this is important as it implies a willing acceptance of the outcome just as God foretells it in the power of the Spirit. The Word of God will give you what the outcome will be, my friends. So first, just in closing, there needs to be a willing acceptance of the outcome as Scripture dictates, even, and I repeat, even before we have acted on it. We are saying, by faith, I fully expect this result to be my own if I respond in accord with the Word of God. Secondly, the person accepts in faith that the current circumstances that they're encountering is the will of God. And that means I have acted in obedience and the consequences or outflow of that matter I fully expect and accept as the will of God for me in this hour. Lastly, there is no deviation in conduct from the obvi obvious uh, outcome, whatever the consequences are. In this case, the Lord Jesus fully accepted that this very night he will be condemned to death by, and will, by crucifixion, based on Roman law, be executed. But the converse of this paradigm applies to Judas, which is also true. 
because he says, Woe unto the man by whom the Son of Man is delivered up. It, would good for the, it were good for that man if he had not been born. And so the consequences for disobedience are also foretold by the scriptures and the Spirit of God. And whether or not a man believes those consequences will not alter the fact that the Word of God will accomplish what it has been sent to do. In this case, to inform the person of the result of their response to the word of God and what the consequences would be, whether positively in obedience or negatively in disobedience. And so we see the Lord Jesus, the man in obedience to his end, as it is foretold, telling Judas, the man who is acting in disobedience, what the word of God says concerning him. Both men, mind you, both men will suffer, but only one will see the good of his suffering. In fact, Isaiah, 700 years before, what did he say? He, the Lord Jesus, shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And to Judas, it was better for him that he were not born. And so the Lord Jesus is simply telling Judas, as he's about to betray the Son of Man for 30 pieces of silver, Matthew 26, 15, Judas experienced great remorse as he did not anticipate the horrible outcome of his actions. Judas walked by sight, and he assumed that the consequences of his actions would stop at him getting 30 pieces of silver. He never foresaw Jesus being condemned to death. And to his horror, as we learn in chapter 27, he realizes that Jesus was really condemned and that he would be executed. And this man was filled with such remorse that he returned the 30 pieces of silver uh, to the chief priest, saying, I have sinned because he saw that he delivered an innocent man to death and his conscience was unable to bear the weight of that guilt, resulting in his suicide. And so, my friends, when circumstances appears to turn against you, against me, we are given the absolute assurance that God and God alone causes all things in our lives to work together for good because we've set our love on God. It's not by chance that this will happen. The scripture says God causes it to happen. He invests himself, his grace, his power, his righteousness, his righteous might, his fidelity to his word, and applies all of this unchallenged. There's no challenge to his divine authority to bring to pass what he has promised. He will cause all things, all circumstances, all situations, all broken promises, all hurt feelings, all emotional uh, bruisings, all betrayals in any relationship to work together for our good. Our duty, our challenge, is to lean upon his precious promises without wavering and trusting him to bring to pass what he has promised for our good and his glory. Oh, Father in heaven, please, we beseech you in the name of Jesus, make this good in our lives that in spite of our sufferings, we would rejoice in the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Besides the Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides the Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped 
and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.